morning, morning. Nice to see you all. It's good. It's been wonderful worshipping together. It's been wonderful just catching some of this story already through that song and through that genuinely emotional kids talk, that one. When you're talking about losing your kids, we all think, gosh, I remember that feeling and that moment. Um, but I wanna, I'm going to be talking here from these two parables about the great joy of our God. The great joy of our God. And I want to start by asking you uh, this question. What, um, what in life brings you your greatest joy? What is it that brings you... I've got a really interesting echo back here, Malcolm. Thank you. What in life brings you your greatest joy? Let's see if this is working. I wonder... Some of you might have hobbies. Some of you might enjoy gardening or being out in the open air, walking or exploring. I wonder how many of you take huge joy, like I did the other day, of climbing, well, not a mountain, but a small hill called uh, (laughs) Cothelston Hill. But hey, I felt like a mountaineer. (laughs) Smooth all the way up. Um, But do you take joy in achieving something like this and being out in the beauty of nature? I wonder, do you take joy in things like holidays or being by the sea or family holidays of getting out? I wonder how many of you take joy in something like that when it turns up in front of you in a restaurant. That is 1,000 calories of pure joy right there. (laughs) Someone's thinking, no, no, I don't take joy in that, thanks very much, I'd prefer a crumpet. Okay, that's fine, or a Weetabix, each to their own. How many of you take joy in being out on the open road? Wind in your hair if you didn't have a helmet on, but you've got a helmet on, but uh, enjoying just that freedom. How many of you take joy in winning something? (laughs) An argument? Hopefully not. If your team wins something, The joy that so many feel when their team win the cup or whatever it might be. Perhaps when you win a board game or that game of Scrabble. Yes. Or if you achieve something, complete a project, do something, an interview or something new begins. I want us to think about what brings us joy. Perhaps there are things more poignant that bring us joy as we thought about with you in this morning. I saw a genuine picture of joy. It was lovely this week at Parents and Toddlers on Wednesday. There was this young mum with this little baby in her arms and she's just sat there on her own with this baby and that's it. She doesn't need anyone else around her and she's just looking and the baby's there. And I come and say hello and I sit next to her and I'm talking and this baby's eyes are just fixed, fixed on mummy and the face, it's such a young little baby, just couple of months old maybe, I'm not even sure if they can smile, but their, their face is full of clear joy and she's just smiling and, she, and the baby's smiling back and then um, I sort of get the baby's attention and it turns to me and goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hello, and it's like, huh. and then back to mummy and it's joy again. I'm like, yeah, I don't blame you. Um, interesting, isn't it? The joy of a mum... In that situation, the joy of the little baby looking at mum. I really love this photo. Um, It's a dad returning after being a prisoner of war in the 70s, Vietnam, 
I just love the fact that their feet of the 15-year-old daughter and this little lad at the back, he's got caught out, but his feet aren't even on the floor. They're just desperate to get to dad. And just the arms open of seeing that person again. People, those relationships so often give us the greatest joy, the ones who love us and the ones whom we love. This morning, as we continue our series, this new series that we're going through on parables, for those who aren't aware, haven't been around for a few weeks, we're going through the parables of Jesus for a series. And as we do, I want us to ask this question about God. What brings God that true and wonderful and great joy Who is this who we call our God? What is his heart like? How can we understand him better this morning? What makes him truly rejoice? And we're going to look at both parables. The the parable of the shepherd, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep and the lost coin. But we're going to focus on the first one mainly, on the shepherd uh, imagery and the lost sheep imagery. The one who has... A hundred, and he loses just one and leaves the 99 to go and seek this lost sheep. You see, the image of a shepherd is one of the most long-lasting and dearly loved when it comes to understanding our God, isn't it? We all get it, this idea of Jesus as a shepherd. Um, John 10 is the most extraordinary discourse that Jesus gave about how he is the great shepherd that was promised and long foretold. And here again, he's using this shepherd imagery. But as I was looking for images of that, this shepherd imagery, whenever it became religious, it all became quite serious or kind of floaty or ethereal. Um, That's not unfair, is it, to call that floaty and ethereal? It's nice. It's probably from a children's book um, of a certain era. But the thing that worried me most was that these pictures of Jesus holding a lamb or finding potentially the lost sheep, he seemed so almost casual. He seemed to almost be detached from it all. In this one, he looks positively fed up. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, if I have to go and get the sheep, I will. Silly, silly sheep. You know, I'm above this kind of thing. It's interesting, isn't it? I couldn't find an image which captured the thing that I believe Jesus was trying to get across most in these two parables and in the parable of the prodigal son. We're not going there today. It is an incredible parable that we'll look at on its own. But it's in there as well. The thing he wanted to get across was the immense joy of God. The immense joy. I love that photo, isn't it lovely? Just caught someone in that lovely smile, face lit up, of finding the one who was lost and bringing them home. The centre of this parable, this first one, is of a shepherd with tears of joy rejoicing, carrying this lost sheep. I found her! Rejoice with me! And he goes and throws this party with his neighbour. The thing that brings our God such great joy, believe it or not, is when just one sinner who was lost is found and is brought back home again. That's what brings our God joy. And I wonder how many people really understand this about God. 
I wonder how many people in our society have really understood this when we talk about God. Or whether we have these ideas of God that are are based on what we think he should be like or is like or what others tell us he is like and we have missed this, the heart of our God, this heart of such joy for the lost, of bringing them home, this heart of such love, of such rejoicing over ordinary broken people brought into his family. And have we missed him and missed his heart in this way? There's no doubt in my mind that the Pharisees that are spoken about here and the teachers of the law just before these two parables had missed it. They'd missed God's heart. They'd misunderstood him completely. You see, for them, that great photo, for them, when it comes to lost sheep going astray, God isn't impressed. The passage begins like this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around. Just include yourself in that, right? We're all in that bracket. The tax collectors and sinners all were gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This was such a genuine sense of indignation for them. This man who claims to be a teacher of the law, this man who claims that he knows things from God, that he is some kind of prophet from God, hangs out with the people we know God is not impressed with. We know they're not the sort of people God is interested in. We don't know who is lumped in that bracket of sinner. Um, In Scripture, there's all sorts that will be in there. Ordinary folk as well as the liars and the thieves and the drunkards and the prostitutes that Jesus did hang out with. And also the ordinary folk that had low-end jobs that the Pharisees thought were kind of uh, unclean or they didn't keep up on their religious duties. Whoever they were, the Pharisees were infuriated that Jesus not only spoke to them, but he ate with them, gathered them in, shared food with them, which in that culture and that society was such so much more, actually, than it means today. It was to give someone honour, to say, hey, you are honoured. I honour you because I'm sharing food with you. I'm at the table with you. They could not stand this. How can he do this? You can hear their frustration, their annoyance. You can hear their joylessness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were certain that this was something God would not like. He will not be interested one bit in their unpleasant Filthy, dirty, frustratingly annoying lives. God is not impressed. Jesus isn't having any of it. He hears and he knows their heart. He knows what they're saying. And so he tells these parables as a direct response to their muttering. He wants to basically say, no, 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 let me tell you about what it's like with God and sinners. You think this, but let me tell you what it's really like, what our God is really like when it comes to the broken and the lost and the sinner. And the first thing he wants them to know, that actually our God is a God who never stops seeking the lost and the broken and the ones that apparently he's so unimpressed with. He says, he paints the scene, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? There's lots I could say here, time doesn't allow us, but 
To have a hundred sheep didn't necessarily mean you were a rich shepherd. This isn't necessarily a story of a rich shepherd. could well be someone part of the extended family where lots of different family groups kind of own smaller um, herds that come together, or flocks, sorry, that come together to make this flock of a hundred. But this shepherd is to look after them, is invested in them, and is to take care of them. Interestingly, by the time of Jesus, being a shepherd wasn't actually this great honourable and lovely job that it seems in the Old Testament. It was actually a menial job that wasn't very loved at all, and in fact the Pharisees considered it a dirty job. Anyone that was a shepherd was not to be trusted, um, was not to be believed. They're probably thieves and liars. They weren't allowed to have their say in court. But for the ordinary folk who are listening they could relate to this shepherd figure. Many of them would instantly say, yes, I know what it feels like, like Ewan did in our talk, to lose a sheep. And presumably the immense concern for them, for the one that got lost, the sheep that their whole family and community relied on. But interestingly, the Pharisees would probably have heard this parable differently because the other thing about shepherd is it was a metaphor and an image of religious leadership. It's come down from Abraham, the great shepherd leader, David, the shepherd king, and they understood that the kings and the religious leaders could be understood as a metaphor shepherd, not a really, you know, dirty sort of actually looking after sheep shepherd, but no, looking after the flock, the religious flock, if you like, and they are the shepherd leaders. So interestingly, the Pharisees would have heard it with different ears. That's the thing about parables. We don't stretch them, we don't try and force them, but they speak to us and we hear them through our own ears. Either way, Jesus says one of these sheep gets lost. And he asks that question. When that happens, don't you go and look for it? And each person would have had to have answered that for themselves. And I think some of them would have said, yes, yes, I do. I care for every sheep. And others, perhaps, there would have gone, well... One out of a hundred lost isn't that bad, actually. You're doing pretty well. Sheep go missing all the time. So I might look for it, but if I'm honest, I might not. But Jesus makes it immensely clear that God is like a shepherd who deeply cares about every sheep and will not give up on finding this single lost one until is found, or she is found. He is the God who will lead the flock, clearly not in any danger, and go out searching and seeking. This may begin to challenge our thoughts sometimes about God. Because I think we often, even though we might not say this, like to think that God is our God, not their God out there. He's our God, right? He's the one who looks after us. He's the one who likes to take care of the flock, isn't he? We are the flock of well-behaved sheep, aren't we? Huddled together, yes? Stood behind our shepherd God who kind of defends us like a fortress and we kind of shout at the silly sheep that are out there, you're you're doing the wrong thing, it's terrible out there, come back here. But, But in here, in this image that Jesus gives, God is the God that, yes, loves and looks after the flock, but he's also the God that says, no, don't hold me back. I want to go out there and I want to go and find the ones that are lost. He's not just our God to hold back. He is a God that says, look, they're hurting. 
Look, they need finding. I'm going to get them. Will you join me? Will you join me? In John 10, he said the words, I have other sheep also that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one sheep and one shepherd. I think this one's interesting, this idea. Because there Jesus is saying to the early Jewish Christians that were to be, there's going to be Gentiles coming in as well, you know. Sheep that aren't from this cultural and ethnic background. I'm going to bring them in. And they really struggled. The early church really did. It took the Holy Spirit to literally show up with the Gentiles before Peter was having any of it. And I think sometimes we can struggle. Not necessarily talking specifically to anyone or to this church. It's not something I've particularly noticed it, but I want us just to check it in our own hearts. Do we sometimes feel like, well, I like church as it is, thank you. I don't want it to change too much. I don't want that sort of sheep or person coming in, thanks. This is not the church it used to be. It's not my church anymore. It feels new and different. And Jesus just turns around and says, I have other sheep also. And I'm going to bring them in. And will you welcome them and will you join me in searching for them? He is our God and he is a God who never stops seeking the sheep that are lost. For the religious leaders, I have no doubt this would have been a heavy rebuke. He's basically saying, no, you don't go and search for the sheep, do you? You're quite happy to stand in your flock, to think you've got it all right, and to defend your values but you've actually missed the broken and the poor and the ones outside. And Ezekiel 34, I haven't got time to go into it now, is the most amazing passage in the Old Testament, which I commend to you to go and look at, where God turns around and says to the religious leaders of the time, this day I am against you. I stand against you. May God never say that to any of us. I stand against you because you've not looked after the flock and now they're scattered and now the sheep are lost and you haven't even bothered to go and look for them. So I will be their shepherd and I will go and look for them. The day is coming when I will come and I will be their shepherd and I will go and seek them. And what does Jesus do? He turns up and he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm here. And I'm going to look for those sheep. It's extraordinary. It's amazing. I'll be quick on this little bit, but I think the reason the Pharisees didn't go out looking for the lost sheep is because they genuinely had missed that that's what God was up to. They didn't think he was that kind of God. They thought he was the God who was impressed with what they were doing. And they thought he was the God that, yes, could be merciful if a sinner crawls back and begs for forgiveness. And maybe, just maybe, if they do enough, good enough, maybe, just maybe, God may say, okay, I'll let you in. They had uh, an extraordinary... Uh, saying that you may recognize. It says, if a man keeps seeking for a lost coin, much more should he seek the law. Isn't that interesting? A lost coin parable. It was theirs. I don't know if it came before or after Jesus's. We just know it's recorded in the centuries after as a rabbinical saying. If a man has lost a coin, as he keeps seeking, so you should seek the law. Their idea was that we bad people should seek and seek and seek and seek and seek until we get close to good God and he might just let us in. 
But Jesus flips the whole thing on its head and he tells this story about a woman seeking a coin and sweeping and sweeping and sweeping and sweeping until she finds it. And he says, instead of saying, yes, that should be what you're like with God, he turns around and says, and that's what God's like with you. Oh my goodness, he turns the whole thing on his head. God is the God who never stops seeking. What do you mean God's the one that sweeps the floor? Yes over and over and over until he finds the one that is lost. And that's what he did for me and that's what he did for you. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, if you know Jesus and you love Jesus, he has searched and searched and searched and then he found you. Every single one of us was hopelessly lost. We didn't initiate his search. He just noticed. He noticed. Where's Matt? Where's Chris? Where's John? Where's Jenny? They're missing. And I will go and find them. And I will not stop until they're found and brought home. It would have been a shock to the Pharisees to understand that God was like that, a God who never stopped seeking. And the bit that we've already covered, really, and I don't need to labour too much, is the other bit that would have surprised him, is that he didn't just do it as a kind of obligation, but he is our God who rejoices at finding and bringing home the lost. When he finds it, Jesus said, he joyfully puts it, the sheep that was lost on his shoulders, he joyfully, not sort of, oh my word, have you seen the size of this sheep? See how heavy this thing's going to be? I've got to walk all the way back. No, he joyfully picks it up and puts it on his shoulders. Then he calls his friends and his neighbours together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. The shepherd cannot contain his joy in finding the lost sheep. He invites everybody round. Let's celebrate this incredible passion, this unreserved feeling, this incredibly tear-filled face shining with joy and celebration. It is so un-British, isn't it? Can't you hear yourself going, hang on a minute, it's a bit much actually, that's not how we do it here. You know, it was only one sheep Mr. Shepherd, isn't it a little bit much what you're doing? Aren't you just overreacting? And the shepherd would turn around and say, no, you have no idea what she meant to me, what she means to me. You have no idea how much I love her. That's why I'm rejoicing. That's why I will celebrate. And God would say the same about you, And about me. The joy of the shepherd in taking every step to bring you and I home from the danger that we were in, or maybe we still are in and aren't aware of. It's worth every step of the search to him, every battle with wild animals, every cut and graze and tear and slip, and then it's worth shouldering that heavy weight on his shoulders and bringing the sheep all the way back to bring the lost one home again. And he bears the cost with joy. And how far would the shepherd really go for the sheep? Well, 
Our shepherd would leave heaven and go to a manger. Our shepherd would go and hang out with the least and the broken and the hated and the lost and the diseased and the sinners and the ordinary. And then our shepherd would go to that trial and to that brutal whipping station and then our shepherd would go all the way to the cross to go and bring home those who were lost. Hebrews said, says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. And now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. Because of the joy awaiting him of you and me and all the others that he has yet to bring in, Jesus went to that cross, that brutal and excruciating place to rescue the broken and the lost because of the joy of bringing us home. Interestingly, the Pharisees would probably have said, did I hear that right? Because they had another saying. And it went like this. Now we know what brings God joy. We know what it is. Here it goes. There is joy before God when those who provoke him perish from the world. They had this idea of God, can you hear it? That God takes joy when those who wind him up, who annoy him, who frustrate him, are finally crushed. Hooray! Jesus turns around and says, no. There is joy before God. There is joy in heaven. But it's not when sinners perish. I tell you in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The whole of heaven catches the joy of the Father and bursts into celebration. And there is no doubt that would have been quite a surprise to the Pharisees. You mean God rejoices over them? Yes. And it would have been quite a surprise for the tax collectors and sinners listening. You mean God rejoices over us? Yes. And it might be a surprise to you this morning, to some of us here. You mean... You mean God rejoices over me? He says, yes. Yes, he really does. Yes, he really does. In fact, the whole of heaven joins in. We're going to reflect on this just prayerfully for a moment. But perhaps this morning you've come and you've forgotten, actually, the heart of God. Perhaps you've forgotten the heart of God for the lost this morning. Perhaps he's been speaking to you about that. But perhaps you forgot the heart of God for you this morning. It's been a while since you realised he actually rejoices over you. Let him speak to you about that this morning. Perhaps you feel like you have wandered. You did once know that you were loved but you've been far away and you're far away now. This morning is a chance to come back and know that there will be tears of rejoicing in your Father's eyes when you do. And perhaps this morning you're someone who's finally realised, actually, no, I am lost. 
I am, and I'm fed up with being lost, and I don't want to be lost anymore. I want to go home. And I want to say to you, this morning can be the morning where you are found, and with rejoicing, you're put on his shoulders, and he brings you back home. Just picture for me, if you would. Just close your eyes if you're happy doing that. Picture the scene of heaven. Imagine if we could get caught up in there now. It's hard to do. We can only imagine. But imagine the most beautiful light surrounding you. Imagine you feel safe and you feel overjoyed. You stand in the presence of thousands upon thousands of heavenly beings, of angels and archangels, all singing the praises of God. And there in the centre is this beautiful and wonderful throne. And the presence of God himself is there, smiling. And then you hear a noise. And it sounds like cheering. It's the most amazing noise you've ever heard. The noise and the sound of cheering and of applause and of whooping and of clapping and of laughter over and over and over and over again, a noise of such inexpressible joy that like you've never heard. And you build up the courage to just ask an angel nearby, what is that sound? Oh, that sound, they say. That is the celebration. That is the huge and wonderful party that we are enjoying. That is the sound of the angels rejoicing because just one more ordinary, lost, broken and hurting sinner who was lost has been found by Jesus and has come to him and is now home. Cheering and whooping and applauding and clapping and laughter and celebration and joy. Perhaps this morning the courts of heaven We'll be rejoicing over you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this parable. Thank you for showing us your heart and your Father's heart for us and for this world. And Father, for those of us who have forgotten, would you show us again this morning your heart for the lost? Would you remind us why we do what we do? Would you remind us of that image of the shepherd rejoicing with tears in his eyes at bringing home one who was lost and is now found? And Lord, for those of us who have forgotten that that is your heart for me, would you remind us again this morning that that moment we became a Christian, if we know when it was, or even if we're never quite sure when that moment happened, that still the rejoicing in heaven happened over us coming to know you. And that joy is still in the Father's heart. And Lord, for those of us this morning who have wandered away and we've just realised it, bring us home, Lord. Bring us home again rejoicing. We look to you And we allow you to pick us up and pull us out of the mess. And we come back home. 
And Father, I want to pray for those this morning who, for the first time, have realised that they're lost and that they need rescuing. For those who are feeling now, I don't want to be in this wilderness anymore. Lord, I'm ready to come home. Lord, I'm sorry I've wandered too long. Lord, I'm tired of doing it all on my own. And I don't want to do it this way anymore. Jesus, save me. Be my shepherd. Be my king. Thank you for your forgiveness and for the cross. Thank you for saving me. I choose to follow you now and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.